Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Good to see you guys. The smiling faces. I uh, know it. Well, I'm sure you've been keeping up with our COVID-19 news. You've been keeping up with what's been going on. And there's some good news on the horizon. You may understand or you may have heard that they're going to start opening things up. So I'm anticipating all those that have been joining us live stream will be able to meet us here uh, during the worship time and and uh, come and sing some songs with us and be a part of what we're doing. Um, as you know, we, we've been starting off with the message so that people that are, um, we couldn't get the music on at first, but now we have the music on. But the, I think we're going to keep doing it that way when we come back. The importance of God's word is the one thing that is very important to us. So I want to, I want to be able to, to share that and to be able to, to keep that uh, in the forefront of all that we do. And of course, music, of course, is, is important as well. We want to worship in, uh, in music, in fellowship, in the baptism, the Lord's Supper. So those things are very important to us as well. Okay, so a um, couple of announcements. Mother's Day is coming up. I don't know if you remember that or not. Uh, if you forgot, please, <laughs> please don't. We have uh, something very special for our moms. Hopefully we'll be open. But even if we're not, or even if we are, I want to encourage you to send me a video. I'm going to put out a uh, an email address tomorrow as to where to send that video. And I am asking for maybe 10, 15 seconds of shout out to mom. This is so-and-so family. This is the Martinez family. We're just lifting up uh, my mom, Felipa, who is in Madeira. And I pray that she's doing well. Happy Mother's Day, mom. Boom. Okay. So we're going to try to get as many of them in there as possible. I've already had some phone calls, people that don't actually attend our church, but they said, you know, we want to give a shout out to our mom. I says, well, yeah, just make sure she's listening so she can see it on the uh, live stream when we present it. So it's one way that we can show appreciation to our moms. Amen? Yeah, so that's what we want to do. So uh, make sure that that is done. And as soon as we can, we're going to open it up full bore and we're going to have a huge celebration uh, and we're going to try to keep our social distancing as best we can. Everyone here is wearing masks, and you guys are far away enough that I can uh, do this without wearing a mask, okay? So please don't tell on me. <laughs> All right, and uh, of course, after Mother's Day is Father's Day, and uh, but our celebration is going to be one of the biggest ones that I, I pray that we can have when we all come back together. So thank you guys for being here this morning and supporting us. So we do have a, a couple of prayer requests, and uh, we do want to lift them up right now. Anybody else have a prayer request that's here right now? Terry? Okay, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep her in prayer as well. And uh, Kelly? Keep Kelly in prayer? Uh, we'll keep Stephanie in prayer also. I don't know if you know this or not, but she was uh, admitted into the hospital this last week. She had some issues, not with coronavirus, some other things that are going on, and uh, they were very concerned about her, so... She went into urgent care from urgent care. They took her to uh, ICU, and uh, they suggested she be there. So keep her in prayer. Uh, and I, I don't know exactly where she's at right now, but I, I believe she's home. And uh, just keep praying for Stephanie and for Mauro. Uh We miss them, 
Um, she is our uh, usually leads the worship, but um, I thank God that Elisa has stepped up and uh, she's helping us on that part. And if you'd like to join us, remember, just give us a call ahead of time or show up and we'll make arrangements for you. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for our, our, our state and our city. And uh, we want to pray for our families as well and, and lift up to you, Father, those that we know are hurting right now. There is one thing that we have in common with uh, most everyone. We know that every, everyone is already proclaiming and stating within their own life that you are up to something, that you are doing something that we have no clue. And Lord, you have situated us in our homes and you have quarantined us and you have sat us there and, and a lot of us have reflected upon our life and, and just the indulgence that we've indulged ourselves with that w that's been stripped away from the various malls and shoppings and activities and goings and comings. And, and Lord, now we are at a point where we are forced to look at you and you're asking us to look at you. You've been calling for us to look at you. You've been asking and calling your church to come together because we know that the days are short. And so I pray, Lord, that throughout this time that we've been quarantined, that we hunker down and sit down in you and, and understand who you are. And we are in agreement that you are up to something, even through this evil that has caused this, this plague within our country, within our, our, our cities, and our, even in the world. And so, Father, we continue to pray for a guidance that you use uh, these leaders throughout the world as you've already intended, that you have it to come out the way you've already purposed and planned. We know that you're the one that raises up leaders. We know that you're the one that appoints leaders. Whether we agree with them or not, they are there to do your service, which is bigger and greater and grander than we can ever think or imagine. So, Lord, we come to, we come to you understanding that, that you have total control. You are a sovereign God. And you have to be in control of all things. Otherwise, you're not sovereign. And I got to believe, Lord, and we all do believe and agree that you are totally in control. And we, we grab onto that and we hold on to that because that is our hope. Otherwise, we would be hopeless. And thank you, God, for giving us your word so that we can go back to and it's steady, it's steadfast, it's immovable, and it holds on. And it holds on to us as we hold on to your word. Lord, we do lift up our sister Terry to you. We pray that you be with her and help her during this time, that uh, whatever may be going on in her life, we also pray for Stephanie as well. And Father, we pray your hand of protection and, and healing upon her as well and her family. Lord, we pray for all those that are, uh, that are out there that are needing the touch from you. And thank you, God, for already answering those prayers. We pray for our church, Lord, and we know that we've dwindled in numbers even smaller than what we ever thought. But, Father, you are having a far outreach impact further than what I ever imagined or thought. So, Lord, let your word be clear. Let it be uh, a reproductive, that it reproduces in, the pe in people's lives. But most importantly, that it causes this transformation as we reform back to who you are and what you want us to be. So, Father, thank you, Lord, once again for this day that we're able to get into your word. We're reformed and transformed. And there will be a time when all of that will come to fruition and we'll be able to see it. So I pray that you lead us in this study of uh, 1 Corinthians, in Paul's writing, and how it is so appropriate for us to be at this point at this time in the uh, event and in the eaves of all these deaths and the fear of death that have been going on during the resurrection season. We were in the resurrection passage. And, and Father, you just orchestrated it in such a, an awesome and a magnificent way, something that I could not do. 
And I thank you for unveiling that to us. So, Lord, this morning we come before you with open hearts. We come to you, Father, with, with our minds focused upon your word. We come to you knowing that your word will transform and change and reform every one of us. So here we are, Lord, we come to you. And I pray for all those that are within the sound of my voice that you continue to bless and minister and nurture each family, I pray. In Jesus' name, and we all say amen and amen. As I mentioned here a little bit ago, I think I like the fact that we are doing the message first and then the music later. And, and I just might continue doing it that way from this point forward. So for those of you that have been attending, and, uh, and if you want to wait until the music is over to come get the word, well, I think you're going to come and get the music and uh, probably miss out on the word. But the good thing is we're going to continue on with the live streams as well. So that's going to, it's going to promote God's word a little bit more. And I've got a confession to make. You know, I tend to get on Facebook and see, oh, how many people looked at me? You know, how many people are, are checking me out? You know, God had to knock me down a stretch, you know, just a little bit. Uh, I do tend to get a big head. I, I, I t- that tends to happen. And, and Father, I just, I ask for forgiveness that you just let your word be heard. You know, maybe, maybe we'll just get away with the, the video, but we'll do the live streaming and the, and the music uh, through, through the airs. But uh, what, what the most important thing is, is all of us, especially your pastors, got to get out of the way and let God's word do what it's going to do. Amen. And so from this point forward, we're going to be doing the message first. That's the most important thing, God's word, because we need to get a good handle on it. We need to know what God's word says, and this way it would help us and, and understand what these things are that we're talking about as far as the resurrection's concerned. And, and, and the people that Paul was talking to, they, they heard it, and they understood it, but they just didn't apply it. And so this church was in trouble. All kinds of things that were going on. All kinds of things. And Paul was saying, you got to get back to the word. Let me share with you what the word says. And so something took place here back in the 1600s that many of you probably may have heard of. And it was called the Reformation. And the Reformation was basically a repentance. To repent of where they were at to the place where God wanted them to be. And this Reformation period caused this this outpouring of people diving into God's word and trying to find out how to apply it to our lives. And and from there, of course, it splintered off into different branches. But the most important thing is that we get back to God's word and see, okay, how do we do the baptism, first of all? Because back then they were baptizing babies. How do we do the Lord's Supper? Is it really flesh and really blood? How do we do uh, the indulgences or our prayers, basically? Because if you would come and, and give the, the church money, then we would pray for those that are in purgatory. How do we pray for those that have passed on? And as the people started going back to the Bible, saying, you know, a lot of these things that we're doing aren't you know, practices the church should be doing. That's not the way it should be. Now, I tell you this because today I entitled the message Reformed and Transformed, and it has a double meaning, a double entendre is what some people call it, but it has a double meaning. And I need to take you back, way back, to sometime back in 2013, probably in April of 2013. In April of 2013, right after I got out of the book of Matthew, I was in the book of Matthew, just kind of hopping around. I love the book of Matthew, just jump from place to place. I was more of what was called a topical preacher. In other words, I would find a topic like anger. Then I'd go through the Bible and find all these verses that had to do with, with anger, which 
was beneficial, which was good. And sometimes, uh, you know, we do messages on temptation, on sexual immorality, on raising a family, so on and so forth. The Bible is authoritative on every one of those subjects. Please, don't get me wrong. I started to find that there were verses that I really couldn't get to fit within my message, so I would even make them fit. Sometimes I'd find a different translation, and, and some of the times it wasn't even a translation whatsoever. And so I did that for, for many years. As a matter of fact, I think that's how we started. We started with this movement of trying to meet people's needs. And we were trying to help people and encourage them and lift them up and, 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 and help them to come to see who Jesus Christ is. Jesus can change your life. But what ended up happening is that we made people very biblically illiterate. In other words, most people don't understand where some of these verses come from, how they fit together. And how they all come together and to, to really mean what it's meant to say. Like, for instance, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. I'd use verses from 1 Corinthians all the time. And people use verses from 1 Corinthians all the time. And they make their doctrine out of one verse. When Paul wasn't talking about speaking in tongues or prophecy or, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and, but and he was talking about the misuse of it. This church was in trouble. When you come to find out why Paul was talking about speaking to angels and speaking to men, you'd come to realize, oh, wait a minute, Paul wasn't really telling them that you can do this. He was using this hypothetical, this hypothetical, if I could, and if I could. And, and he was saying, you know, this is, it's, it, we don't do that. As a matter of fact, we all know that angels all speak the language that the person speaks. When the angel came to visit, Abraham spoke his language. And the angel came to visit all these various people in the Bible. They always spoke the language of the people. Anyways, right after the book of uh, Matthew, back in 2013, I would say April, right around this time of the year in 2013. Now that's, uh, how many years is that? Seven years. Seven years. In Matthew, I started to realize, you know, I've really got to get into the word a little bit more and deeper so that people can understand where this is coming from. But when I got into Luke, I started to realize, you know, there's a lot of good stuff just in that one verse. And we started it to show that, uh, that, that this is where Jesus Christ comes from. You know, as a matter of fact, it was during December of 2013. That's when it was because... We were talking about Christmas, and Luke has a beautiful narrative of, of the birth of Jesus Christ. And so no, December and into January, and I just started to go with it. And the deeper I got into it, the more I started to dive into what is called the Reformed theology. And the Reformed theology really is basically taking God's word and looking at it for how it affected the people then, what it did to them, and how, the principles that they learned to live by, bringing those principles to our day-to-day, and using the same principles for our modern life. Not changing the Word, but let it the Word change me. I did that for almost two years in Luke. And right after Luke, I went to the book of Acts for about a year and a half. And after the book of Acts, we went to Romans for another two years. And after the book of Romans, uh, we came to 1 Corinthians. So for the last seven years, there has been this transformation within myself and the church that many of you probably aren't aware of, but I know that some of you are saying, why do you go verse by verse? As a matter of fact, I had people come and visit with us once before, and they were here for some time, <clears throat> and um, 
uh, one of the one of the persons says, well, you know, I, I don't necessarily have to go to church anymore. And I go, well, why not? Because I already know what you're going to preach on. Next week, you're going to preach on verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, because you preached on 1, 2, 3, and 4 last week. So there, I don't have to go anymore. I, I go, you're missing the point. <laughs> and yes, we're going through it systematically. It's called expository teaching, exposing the scriptures. And I come to find out, that, at least to me, and I pray that it has been to you, and I, I, I hear this from many of you, that it's helped you as you grow. Because this portion of scripture, we're finishing up 1 Corinthians. First, next week will be our last 1 Corinthians part of the letter. So for those of you that have been waiting for 1 Corinthians to be over, next week is it. You can come back the following week and we'll start with 2 Corinthians. How's that? And uh, we're going to take our journey through there as well. And I encourage you to be people of the book, to be people of the Bible. I encourage you to come to know the, the law, the statutes, the rules, the regulations, the commandments of God. Because he wrote them down just for you and for me. And, and it's not what the pastor says on how you can apply this and that or whatever. It's what the word of God says. And we take what would happen in Corinth. We take their circumstances and then we apply it to our life. Now, even though 1 Corinthians was a church in trouble, I thank God our church wasn't quite as bad. Okay, I shouldn't even say that. Our church wasn't, isn't that, well, we're all bad. I'm sorry, I tried. We're all bad. But not like this church. We had a strong fellowship. We have a strong fellowship. We have uh, good, good uh, leaders and teachers. And, and, and we have, there's, there's some sin in every church. We're not a perfect church. We're not. But one of the things that we've been learning through the book of 1 Corinthians is, you know, there's some things that we need to clean up within our household. I tell you that as an introduction to what we've been doing. Because I believe it's very important for us to get back to the Word of God. Now, some people will call us uh, Reformed theologians or theology, Reformed thinkers. Some will even say you're Calvinists. Some will even say, oh, you're following Augustinianism. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of di different labels. Are, they, are you Dutch Reformed? Are you a Baptist Reformed? Are you a Reformed theological Baptist? Or, you know, and so there's all these different branches. Look, I just love Jesus Christ and I love his word, okay? And, and uh, you know, there's the Westminster Confession. There's all these different confessions of, of how they should interpret the Bible. And that's the beauty be behind God's Word. Look at His Word. Yeah. Analyze it. Study it. And I want you to know that I, I spend time in doing that. And I read all these other different commentaries. And I read different parts of the Scripture to find out how I can apply this to my life so that I can help you apply it to your life. So that's what we've been doing these last seven years. It's been seven years. And it's been a transformation, uh, somewhat gradual in, in some sense, but I need to let you know. And from this point forward, we're going to be talking about being reformed and transformed, reformed and transformed. But today, the scripture is so clear on what's going to happen to us on that day, on that day when we move on from this point forward. So if you're ready or not, here we go. I'm going to read from verses 15 through 53. 15 through 53. Follow along with us as I get me something to drink here. Right before 50 and 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, I tell you this 
brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, in Hosea, excuse me, yes, in Hosea, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen? Father, just continue to bless your word and bring it out to us through the airwaves and everywhere else, Lord, so that we can apply this to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So far, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, this chapter, if there's any other chapter that you should study and you should look at for encouragement, especially during our times of trouble, especially when you start losing loved ones, especially when I get closer to that time that I'm going to be graduating into heaven. I'm going to be present with the Lord and absent from the body. I long to be present with the Lord, but I know that my body still is needed here. You need this instruction. My children, my grandchildren, there's a lot of work still to be done. And so, but, but, my body is falling apart, and the inside of me is, is groaning through this clay, jar of clay. It's groaning because this jar of clay is becoming brittle and, and broken. And Paul just so eloquently just looks at the resurrection of Jesus Christ first and foremost. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, that the resurrection is the message. That is the total message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we looked at the fact that, you know, if there is no resurrection then there is no message. If Jesus Christ didn't resurrect, then we're not going to resurrect. But because Jesus Christ resurrected, the following week we looked at the messages. It has to be a, a resurrection as well for the believers. And then after that, I mentioned to you that you are the message. You are the message that Jesus Christ has placed upon you because of what he's done on the cross for you. Unfortunately, some people have a mixed message. Some people have a, a, a messed up message. The message that they're proclaiming is, we're just like the world. I have the same problems, same worries, same stresses, same, same anxieties, same depressions. And I fear death just like everybody else. And this is what happens by this uh, topical preaching at times, is we don't share with people the theological implications of what this means. The most important message that you can proclaim to people around you is that, you know what, when I die, I'm going to heaven, and I'm good with that. You know, I don't want that to be right now, but I'm good with it. And I, I know God's going to just take me up into heaven. Well, how is that going to happen, is what they were asking, and some people ask, well, what's, what's going to take place? You are the message. And last week, we talked about the fact that, you know, the, you are a seed. You are a spore. You are to be planted. And that which is planted, the very elements that are within that seed, is what your glorious body is going to look like when it resurrects. Christians aren't buried, they're planted. 
So, so what we have been doing is we have been reforming uh, to the likeness of Jesus Christ. We have been transforming into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We have been conforming to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And all these things is what, what Paul is talking to us about, that we need to understand that because of all that, we need to give God our devotion, our steadfast devotion. We need to give it to him what is rightfully his. So the very first thing that we're going to talk about, and I'm sorry we don't have, well, yes, you do. You have outlines out in this area, wherever you're at. The very first thing we're going to talk about is, number one, and you can write this down. I hope you have something to write on. God will reform me. You see, in John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29, Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And then over in verse 29, he says, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so Jesus Christ had already said, I am the resurrection and the life. There is going to be a resurrection. And and he tells his disciples that he's going to resurrect. As a matter of fact, there was this theology already of the resurrection. And there was two groups of people that didn't believe, and some believed the, the Pharisees, they believed in the resurrection. And the Sadducees, they did not believe in the resurrection. And the best way to remember that is the way I do, is the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's sad, you see, because they need to believe. There was other theological differences that they had, but there was always this idea, this thought, even in a lot of cultures, there's a lot of people that believe in some sort of a resurrection, either a reincarnation or something that is going to come back out of. But the Bible is specifically clear, and we talked about this here a while back, on the different types of ideas that people have when people die. Some people believe that they just exist and go into nothingness. And then there's those that just get absolved into the universe or this aura. Others believe in reincarnation. We believe in a bodily resurrection. Amen? So number one, God will reform me. Paul tells the people in Corinth, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So something has to take place. Something, my my body, when it goes up to heaven, my body, when the, whether it's resurrected or whether it is uh, brought up from uh, right now on this planet, whether I'm, I have passed on and my body has been planted and it resurrects, it's not going to be the same physical body. This is a perishable body. We know this. Amen? We know that these bodies are perishable. We know that these are weak bodies. We know that these are natural bodies, as Paul already has told us. And we so we know that. So the perishable has to be turned into imperishable. And that's the reformed uh, thinking of, of reforming us to, to be able to get to the stratosphere. This body is good for this planet. We are created to live on this planet, on no other planet. That's how God designed us. And because he designed us as such, then what's going to happen is that we have to face and look at the fact that that's what's going to happen to us. We need to stay here. And so there's this preparation that he's going to do. And the kingdom of God is not used in this sense that the kingdom of God is not just a place where anybody can go. It has to be a very imperishable body, a body that has this 
great transformation that he says, I tell you a mystery. Not all of us will fall asleep. Not all of us are going to go into that, to, to the grave, to the pit. Not all of us are going to be placed there. We are going to be changed. Uh, whether uh, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, he says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air. And so we also will be with the Lord. We're going to talk about that verse here in just a little bit. And it happens in a moment. It happens in the twinkling of an eye. It happens at boom, just like that. That's point number two. Point number two is this, is that I will be transformed. The Holy Spirit will transform me and give me this new body. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. This is interesting on how Paul says this. This is a mystery, by the way. This is something that has been concealed, and now I am revealing to you. He doesn't tell us what kind of body we're going to have. He just says it's going to be an imperishable body. It's going to be a spiritual body. It's going to be a strong body because we had a perishable body. We had a weak body. We've had this, this natural body. And so now this body that God's going to give you is going to be a body that is going to be able to survive in the presence of God. Because you know, as you've read before in the past, that if we see God, we were to die. We were to die. And this happens in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye. In other words, as fast as it takes for you to blink an eyelash, blink an eyelash for me. Just blink once. Okay, blink twice if you're with me. Okay, are you asleep? Okay, good. I'm, not, I'm glad you are not asleep. That's how quickly this happens. You see, everything that we know takes a process. Even that seed that we talked about last week, it takes a process. You have to put it in the ground and then watch it grow. That is a process. And so this is something that none of us have ever experienced and how quickly it's going to transform you into this body that he's prepared for you already. And this, there's something interesting here that Paul says, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for the perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on the immortality. In other words, there's going to be a trumpet. There's going to be a sound. There's going to be a loud noise that comes up. In, 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 to the people in Thessalonica, Paul says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. Hear this. And with the sound of the trumpet of God. God's trumpet is going to sound. He will sound the alarm and gather the people together. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, there's another place where that trumpet is sounded. And a lot of my friends that have this idea or this thought go to this verse to show us, look, this is what Paul is talking about. And before I go there, let me just kind of explain a little bit of, of where we stand as a church and the way I've been teaching it, I believe that there is going to be a rapture prior to the tribulation, okay? And this is called, what is called a pre-tribulation rapture. 
Now, there's those that are mid-tribulation rapture, and they get their teaching from this one verse here. The mid, Right at the middle of the tribulation, after it starts to get really heated up, then we're going to get raptured. And then you have those that have a post-tribulation rapture. In other words, we get raptured at the end, and it's kind of, that one's kind of dying down, but there's still some people that are very strong in that, because this is how it's supposed to work. You get raptured, and then Jesus Christ brings you right back down. You know, because that's exactly what's going to happen. You get raptured and Jesus Christ comes back down. The second coming and the rapture are not the same event. The rapture has to take place. And then Jesus Christ has to come back down, whether it's at the beginning, the middle, or the end. And it's very clear in Scripture, and most people agree on that already. So, so you have this trumpet that's going to sound. This trumpet that we're talking about, or some people talk about, it is found in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, and you'll see that in your outlines. And it says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so it makes sense. If you go back to Revelation, the book of Revelation, and it is God revealing Jesus Christ's revelation, exposing, showing, unveiling what's going to happen. These are the things that are going to happen. And so it starts off in, in chapter 6 with the seven seals. There is, the, there is this lamb that looks like it's been slaughtered, and he who sits on the throne with this scroll that has seven seals. The seven seals signify that this scroll is very important, and anything with seven seals automatically a, a Jewish person, and even a, a Greek or a Roman would recognize that's a very important document. And the only document that gets sealed that often are, are property, title deeds, uh, any, anything that's super important. It gets sealed by seven different people. And every person has to witness the sealing of this scroll. And those that have sealed it have to be, in a, be there to unroll it every single time to make sure that nothing was hampered, it wasn't hampered with, it wasn't messed with. And this scroll... To the Jewish person, they understood that's an important document. And it, it symbolizes the ownership or the deed to this world. I own this world, is what God is saying. Now, here is my deed. Now, where's everybody else? Where are the seven sealers? Who's worthy to open up the seal or the scroll? And at the middle, there was a lamb that looked like it had been slain. It was given to him, and he, he opened it up, and he starts to unroll it. The first four seals is what we know as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Then there's the fifth, sixth seal, and, and, uh, and the seventh seal, and all this mayhem breaks loose. During the four horsemen of the apocalypse, there's a, a time of peace, there's war, there's famine, and there's all this stuff that happens in those four horses, and then there's death. The, the pale horse's death. Then there's these earthquakes, the stars, the, everything starts to, to go haywire. Literally, all hells breaks loose. And then after the seven seals, you have what's called the seven trumpets. Then the seven trumpets, and then once again, every trumpet unveils once God's wrath, unveils God's wrath. And the seventh trumpet is the last one, and it is a trumpet, and all these trumpets, they last for days. And then people are shouting in heaven, the, the kingdom of God uh, uh, belongs on this earth, and, and all God's people are, are praying and praising God, and, and the kingdom of God is coming. And, and so... When you look at that seventh trumpet and the events that took place, everything has to happen in order. Everything has to happen in such a way that it, God's already preordained it. 
And so when you look at that seventh trumpet, and then you look at these other trumpets that Paul talks about in, well, actually just the one trumpet, the last trumpet in Thessalonians and Corinthians, it doesn't match up. It is the last trumpet. Paul said it was going to be the last trumpet, but the events don't match up. Because on this one, Jesus Christ doesn't come to the earth. On this one, the dead are raised up first. And then on this one, the, those that are left behind will be caught up. And then the tribulation or the rest of the things start to take place. So it, it kind of begs the question, where does this trumpet come from? Or what trumpet is he talking about? And, and where is it that all this has happened? Now, as I mentioned a little while ago, the trumpet sound is, is first of all, heard in all three verses. The dead are raised in only 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians. In Revelation, the dead ain't raised until much later. The dead aren't raised until after he comes down. Those, those that, it, whether they are saints or not, they're not raised till much later. The living saints are changed. And in Revelation, they're not changed at all. Uh, death is overcome by victory, but there's still death going on in the rest of the tribulation in, in, in the book of Revelation. Jesus descends from heaven, and in, in Revelation, Jesus doesn't come down from heaven until chapter 19 when he comes on a white horse. And he comes on a white horse, and that's when he starts to come down. And that's much later than Revelation 11. Uh, the kingdoms of the world uh, taken over by Christ, well, that's not going to happen until Revelation. The wrath of God on the dead, that starts to happen in Revelation. Rewards are given. So they're not the two instances. So where does it come from? Well, in, in Isaiah, in... Um, but let me go to Exodus, first of all. In Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus 19, the people had just come out of, uh, out of Egypt. Three months into the wilderness, on the second month, on the, third, on the third month, the first day, God says to Moses, okay, I want you to gather all the people together. Let them know that they're going to come to the mountain, Mount Sinai. They're going to come to the foot of the mountain. And then he gives them instructions, have everybody consecrate themselves, because on the third day, I'm going to assemble all the people. Have them consecrate themselves, have them wash, have them be ready, have them be purified, and, and have them be, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them together. And then he says, do not touch the mountain. Don't even, not even get close to the mountain. Don't let anything get close to them. Anybody or anything that gets close to the mountain must be put to death. And so on the third day, as the people are still milling around, the trumpet of God sounds out. It had just blown out, and everybody says, okay, it's time. Everybody gets up, and they come to the mountain, and they are afraid. The cloud of God comes down upon that mountain, and the cloud of God is situated there showing that he is present. And you see, when God gathers his people, he sounds the trumpet. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it in, in Numbers. In Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, they've already been in the wilderness a year. They've already seen the trumpet and, uh, excuse me, the, the, the cloud of God. And God's cloud would raise up from over from where it was at and it would move and the people would gather together and they would take off. And there were almost, I would say, close to two million people, a million and a half, maybe even three million people that were there. And I'll show you why in just a little bit. But there were a lot of people. And, and to get an army like that to move yeah. was something of a, I mean, it had to be some sort of a miracle. So what God did in Numbers chapter 10, 
if you read this, you'll see that this is where he initiates the two trumpets. They were silver trumpets. They were trumpets maybe about this long, long with the bell at the end of it. And God says, I want you to sound off the trumpet twice, or two trumpets at once. I want you to sound off the trumpet two, two, two times at once. That calls the people together. If you only do one trumpet, I'm just calling the leaders. When you do short blasts, it's time to take off. It's time to move on. And so what God did is he initiated these trumpet blasts, these signals to have people move or come forward or be a part of whatever he was doing at that time. And this is really interesting. This is really cool because the way he situated the people. In Numbers chapter 1, first of all, he says, go out and count all the people. And here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to count everybody from 20 years older to the fighting age. So you have 20-year-old people, men, up to a point where they, they, they were still able to fight. Now, I know if I asked Grandpa to come with me, he'd still be able to fight, right? Yeah, all right, good. <laughs> so if you're able to fight, you were counted. You know, but there's some people like, well, my brother, no, I don't want to pick on Ken. But <laughs> there, there are people that cannot fight, so there's no age limit. Okay, but some people are just already, their eyesight is gone, they're, 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 they're there as sages, they're, wis, they're full of wisdom. And those are the people that God says, I want you to count all of those from 20 on up. And out of all the groups, he goes, I want you to count them. And after you count them, I want you to situate them. And the 20 and up that he counted, there were 603,600. Now, 603,600 people. I got this out of the book of Numbers, which is pretty good because the book of Numbers, well, it deals with numbers. There's a lot of people in there. And he situated the groups all the way from Reuben to Simeon, Gad, Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, uh, even Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. He situated them the way he wanted them to be. This is a beautiful sight, folks. I mean, if you can see this picture from heaven, the way he situated them. Now, 600,000, 20 and up. If they were married, maybe another 600,000? Okay, so that's what, 1.2 million? And then children, 2.3? This is why I'm saying it had to be somewhere from one and a half to three million people. And the way they situated them, and I'm looking eastward, okay? And so that means that behind me is the west. And over to my right is the south, and over to the north, uh, over to my left is the north. And the way God situated the temple, the tabernacle, it was placed in the, in the desert. It was placed in a good spot. God always knew where to situate it at. And on the east side, on this side, he had Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun all facing toward the temple. All right? And then on the south side, he had Reuben, Simeon, and Gad all facing to the temple. 186,400 this way and 151,450 pointing this way. And then on the west side, he had Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, 108,000 facing toward the temple. And on the north side, he had Dan, Asher, and Naphtali, totaling the 600,000 I was talking about. So this huge group, I mean, if you would just take a picture of it from the sky, it was this this cross-like looking thing with the tabernacle right in the middle. And the Levites were the ones that sat around this temple, this tabernacle. I, I'm going way off here, folks. Please st stick with me. Because this is what God did. He initiated the trumpets in chapter 10 of Numbers. And when he says, okay, here's how you do this. Two blasts, you know, get everybody together. One blast, it's the leaders. And then short blasts, everybody take off. After the first short blast, it was the east. It was Judah, Issachar, Zebulun. They would get up, and they would start moving. And they would follow the cloud. 
wherever God went. The second blast, the south came up behind them, the Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. The third blast, the Israelites, excuse me, the Levites, the ones that took care of the temple, the artifacts, the, the tabernacle, and everything within it, they moved on. And they would go ahead and set up the temple ahead of place wherever God situated himself. And then came the west, and then came the north. And they would be marching in order. The last trumpet, the last trumpet to blast was for the kingdom of the north. Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. Now, folks, this makes sense. Because the book of 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians it is believed that 1 Thessalonians was the first epistle that Paul wrote, were written somewhere around 30, uh, excuse me, 50, early 50s, early 50s. But the book of Revelation was written mid-60s, 60s, maybe late 70s, before 70 AD. So you have 10, 15 years of a span that Revelation was written. The people in Corinth and the people in uh, Thessalonica would not have known anything about the seven trumpets. I'm sure the Holy Spirit could have revealed that to them, could have showed that to them. But Paul was talking to a people, a church that was in trouble. Paul was talking to a church that needed to hear the word of God. So when he said the last trumpet, I am saying that they looked at automatically, oh yeah, like the one that God had in the wilderness. Like the one when he said, everybody get ready. Yet that one, after the last trumpet is sounded, after it's, if the alarm goes off, boom, we're all gone. Well, that makes sense. I don't know if there's going to be other trumpets ahead of time. We don't know that. We just know it's the last trumpet. I, we don't know how, what's going on. We don't even know when that's going to happen. There are no signs for that trumpet. There are no signs. There's signs for a second coming, but not for that trumpet. And so with that said, we can continue on with this because we have to realize that it's not the trumpet of Revelation that Paul is talking about. What he's talking about is during that time, the Holy Spirit will transform me. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable. There's that word again. New bodies, a new everything. And we shall be changed. Like that. So all of this comes off. My spirit and whatever body God's going to give me, he's going to give me a body that is going to be able to survive in the presence of Almighty God. He's going to give me that body. And the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. In other words, from this point forward, from that point forward, I am transformed into an image or into a, a, a being that will last forever. Now, Paul is taking all of eschatology. He's taking all of that and kind of summarizing it in just, you know, this is how it's going to be. But, but it is so important for us right now. It is so important because we are going to be made into the likeness of Jesus Christ, which is number three, point number three. I will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Verse 54 through 56. When the perishable... That's this body right here. Puts on the imperishable. And the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin. 
is the law. In order to get a better understanding of what this verse is saying, I mean, we see it now. You know, the, the sting of death, it's, it's like getting stung by a bee. And when you get stung by a bee, it, it, the, the sack that is attached to that stinger continues to pulsate and inject the venom into your body. And, and some people are very allergic to it to, to the point of death, but some people it just causes a lot of pain. And that's the way death is for us. It has attached itself to us. And for those that have no clue as to what's going to happen next, for those that are afraid, that fear death, for those that are living on this planet as, as unsaved people, they feel that sting. This is why I cannot understand Christians having that same amount of fear. Otherwise, maybe they are not true, genuine believers. Because death should not have that kind of hold on you, on anyone. Death should not have that kind of hold on people that proclaim and profess to have been reborn, regenerated, that are in the process of sanctification. And at one time, when Jesus Christ returns, we will be glorified with this new body. But we have churches full of people with anxiety, with trouble. During this coronavirus, this COVID-19 has really shed light on people's faith and people's religion and people's trust in God or no trust in God. We, we said from the very beginning, you know, we're going to continue to meet until Jesus Christ returns. And day one, we were open. And, and we got grandpa to come. <laughs> I know it. We had a few other people show up. And, and we still have the availability to, to be able to house as many people as needed. But this wasn't going to have any hold on us. Now, were we concerned? Of course, we were concerned. Did we prepare? Yeah. I went looking for toilet paper. You know, I did. I couldn't find it. We all did. I went getting some food, some water, make sure we had everything that we needed. I wanted to stay away from, you know, whatever was out there. I mean, there was this big scare, you know, but it didn't stop me from doing ministry. It didn't stop me from going on and continuing on with the gospel. I'd made as many visits as I could. And, and try to help as many people as possible. But the point is, folks, we are being conformed. We will be conformed into his likeness. This death should not have its hold on you. This verse, if no other verse. Hosea was talking to a people that just kept going on and going on, and they just sinned. Hosea is the prophet that God told to go and marry a prostitute. I want you to marry a harlot. Hosea says, okay. And he goes and he marries a harlot, a prostitute. And she takes off and she gets impregnated by another man, brings her home and bears her child. And then she takes off again and has another child by, by the same process. And, you know, I don't know about some of you guys, <laughs> you know, where you would stand on that. I can just imagine what you might be thinking. But Hosea says, if this is what you want me to do, God, why? I don't know. But God used that picture of saying, this is the way Israel is. You're whoring after other gods. You're whoring after the world. You are whoring after the lust of the flesh. You are sacrificing your children to dead idols. They were sacrificing and giving and, and immorality. 
And, and Hosea goes on to say, you know, God is saying through Hosea that these are the things that are happening because you've done that. You know, there's going to come a time when, when death will be no longer, he says. And look at Hosea 13, 14. I shall ransom them from the power of Shoal, that which has power over you. Shoal, which is death, which is Hades, which is hell, should not have a grip on you. I shall redeem them. Redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ, paid for, bought at a cost, propitiated because it satisfied the law of God. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O shoal, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. And Paul takes this verse and he throws it in there and says, well, you have nothing to worry about, folks. You don't because God's already taken care of it. It has no hold on you. It should not have a hold on you. Paul tells us in Romans, he says, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, given this immortal body, he also glorified. He's justified and glorified. He's predestined us to those that, that, that are called and, and, and to become formed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I missed that verse but we are to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 2, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That's what, that's what Jesus Christ did on this planet, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and, the deliverer, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You see, right now, Satan has that power to scare you. Right now, he has, and only because it was given to him by God. He can't take your life. He can't give you life. All he can do is lie to you. Satan doesn't do anything to any of you except for what you allow him to do. And when he, you allow him to capture you in the fear of death, he, he has you as a slave. You're his slave. And he promises you the world to get you out of that. But what he doesn't, what he doesn't tell you is that you will pay the price. So Paul has come to the full circle from the very beginning. Yeah. He, I want you to know, beloved, that Jesus Christ did die on the cross. There was evidence. Peter saw him. The disciples saw him. The 500 people saw him. And finally, he appeared to me. I was the last person ever to see Jesus Christ. He appeared to me. And then he says, and so if he didn't resurrect, then nobody's going to resurrect. But because he resurrected, we're all going to resurrect. And, and then you're asking, so what am I supposed to do? Well, you got to be the message. Get this message out. How is that going to happen? In the twinkling of an eye. Just, just like a, everything else that dies, every seed, every life-giving thing dies, it comes back up, but we're going to get it done like that. And so understand, beloved, that the sting of death has lost its grip. So what am I to do? So with all this information, what am I to do? Number four, the last thing, and I just want to conclude with this. I will demonstrate my devotion to God. This is where we're at. I need to demonstrate my devotion to God. Not to the government. Not to my political opponents or adversaries or, or those that are my friends. 
but dedicate my devotion to God. That's my devotion. I know a lot of people are politicizing this COVID-19. I know a lot of people are wondering, you know, okay, what we're going to do. It's their fault. It's his fault. It's, you know, this group's fault. You know, it's all part of the same system. And I try to share that with everyone. My job right now is to demonstrate my devotion to God. Paul says in verse 57, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Because he's already done it. Look at what uh, Galatians 3.13 says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He's already taken care of it. He's already done it. Look at uh, Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Verse uh, 12 of 22. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Therefore, I, verse 58 of, of 1 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That is what we need to keep doing. Paul laid it out beautifully. He said, this is where we need to be. Here's what we need to be doing. Here's where we should be staying at, stationed at. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, and if you believe that sting has actually lost its death, it's, it's uh, death has lost its sting, then therefore here's what we need to do. We need to do this until he returns. This is our reasonable act of worship abounding in this love and in the work that Jesus Christ uh, has given us to do. If we really believe and we truly are thankful that the resurrection is sure and that the resurrection is mine, then I, I, I will be transformed and I need to do this. From perishable to dishonorable, from weak to natural, to from mortal to earthly, to the imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual, immortal, heavenly body that he has for us. We should therefore demonstrate our devotion, our thanks, our, our blessed life that he has given us, and be steadfast. Steadfast comes from the Greek word of literally referring to being just being seated. Just I'm not doing it like a temper tantrum. I'm not going anywhere. And, and, and therefore being settled and firmly situated. This is my spot. I am not going to do anything else but what the Lord Jesus Christ has called me to do. Immovable carries the same basic idea, but with more intensity. Holding on and holding on as best I can and doing all that I can denotes total immobility, not even moving, because this is where I need to be. He says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always. Always do what we have to do. One of the things that happens in our life. One of the things that's been taking place, I think, even here, that our Christianity has done to us. I believe that this COVID-19 has exposed a lot of us, exposed the things that we would be willing to die for, that we would be willing to die for our government or for an idea. You know what most people want to end up doing once they're done is to retire, RV, and you know, I've done the rat race. I've done all that other stuff. And I don't know why people even get into the rat race because one of the things I find out, you know, even if you do win, you're still a rat. 
But you know, once it's all done and put aside, my main goal now is just to travel the countryside. I put all those other worries and stresses aside. Now I'm going to dump all my money into another set of worries and stresses of an RV, parking, mechanical issues, uh, food, you know, it just because that's where my attention goes. And we, we get so caught up in what everybody else has. The idea that Paul is saying here is, I want to burn out for God. I want to I burn out for God. I want to do whatever I can to burn out for God. You know, countless of people that have said that, that have died young, but they've done more with their young life than most people ever do, most Christians ever do, in a, in a lifetime of their service. I, you know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't take some time off with your family. It's reasonable. It's accepted. It should be done. But our service, because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us, should be to him. And our devotion should be to him. And our demonstration of our devotion should be to Jesus Christ, not anything else. Taking all that we have, all that we are, and funneling it into the services of God. All our energy, all our, our concerns, all our time, all our attention, everything that we have, all our hobbies, everything, putting it into the ministry of what Jesus Christ has called us to do. You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot that's left here in this church to do. Right now, of course, we have empty pews. But I pray that we can continue to reach the gospel, preach the gospel and reach the people. Because what we want to do is we want to get this reformed thinking into people's lives. Getting back to the word of God and understanding what it is that God wants me to do. Because you know, we're going to glorify God in all that we do, and then we're going to edify the saints. We've broken it down now to instead of having all these different things that we're doing, we're going to glorify God, and we're going to edify the saints. Glorify and edify, glorify and edify, glorify and edify. And as I build you up, you're going to go out and glorify God through your life, bring people in, glorify and edify all together. We need to stop entertaining the goats and start feeding the sheep. Ours is not an entertainment industry. Ours is a Ministry of love, devotion, sacrifice to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Through that, through that, people will see that you're serious. And when people see that you're serious, they will follow you. And they will follow your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to stand. Father in heaven, we do come before you. All the challenges have been placed out there today to change the way we think. Repentance is an easy word that we throw around quite often. Repentance is a word that we just say, oh, it's just turning around, going back the other way. The problem is that many times people, and I do, we take our same habits and hurts and hang-ups and take them with us the same direction that we're going. Lord, teach us the true meaning of repentance, to change the way we think. The true meaning of the reformation, of how you are reforming us. The true meaning of the transformation that needs to take place within our life. The true meaning of, the, uh, of conforming us, of conforming us to, to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Lord, we come before you, committing ourselves to you right now. Every person within the sound of my voice. I pray that each one of us can say that we are here to commit ourselves to, 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 to devotion, 
to demonstrate our devotion to you in everything that we do. Lord, I, I thank you for your word, how it's true and how it penetrates the heart and cuts and divides. And I pray, Lord, that we just continue to learn even more so in what it is that we need to do and then put it into practice. So, Father, we thank you for this hour that we've had to be able to share this. And lead us now as we continue in this services in, in the music and, and being able to minister to one another and uh, just to be able to sing songs. So, Father, we thank you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone says, and amen, and amen. Please uh, feel free to leave a, a donation at the, at the door when you leave. And uh, if you'd like to donate, uh, you can always go to Tithely. And I want to thank those of you that have actually been giving online. It's, it's been amazing, remarkable. God has been so good to us. All right.